Kale Clark here. Thanks for listening to my podcast. Check out Charity Mobile and prayerfully consider making them your wireless carrier. Mention offer code relevant radio and get a free phone. Don't delay. CharityMobile.com. That's CharityMobile.com. Fascinating facts, candid conversations, and some levity to lighten your day. This is The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Welcome to the program. So glad to be with you. And you can call me right now, 888-914-9149. Got a question for you. We talked about your favorite Christmas movies. We also tried to answer the uh, perennial question, is Die Hard a Christmas movie? A lot of you guys weighed in on that. But today I'm going to ask you something else. What's your favorite Christmas hymn or Christmas song? I've got mine. I know you have yours. Producer Jim has his. We'll find out what that is soon. But tell me what you think. 888-914-9149. 888-914-9149. And also, I'm going to share with you the backstory to one of the most popular Christmas hymns of all time. You won't believe this. This one kind of blew my mind. 888-914-9149. You can also email the show. Kale, C-A-L-E, at RelevantRadio.com. And you can follow me on Twitter, as always, at Kale Clark, C-A-L-E, Clark with an E. So, I know you're going to light up the phone lines, but once again, I'll give out that number, 888-914-9149. Let me start. Let me start. My favorite Christmas song of all time is Away in a Manger. Away in a Manger. I like that one. And my favorite rendition of Away in a Manger, this might surprise you a little bit, but it's Away in a Manger by Kenny G. That's right, on his Christmas album. Now, I know Kenny G gets a lot of shade thrown his way, but Kenny G was he was dope back in the day. I mean, he was he was the man. Let, let's hear Jim, producer Jim, the Kenny G version of Away in a Manger, just a little bit. tell you, I, I, I can't hear that version without getting choked up. I'm a softy. Man, it gets me every single time, right in the feels. I'll tell you. I remember when I was in my early 20s at a, at a work Christmas party, they, they played that over the loudspeakers, and I just started bawling. I, I mean, I was, I was lucky I had no friends, and I was sitting by myself, because it would have been embarrassing. Anyways, uh, I, I love Kenny G's Christmas album, and hey, Wayne a Manger. There you go. That's my favorite one. Well, speaking of Away in a Manger, and I want you guys to call in and tell me what your favorite Christmas hymn or Christmas song is. 888-914-9149 is the number to call. Toll free to talk to me on the Kale Clark Show, only on Relevant Radio. Because it's that time of year, and I know it's not Christmas yet, it's still Advent, but a lot of you are getting ready to go, if you haven't gone already, to maybe your kid's Christmas pageant at school or, or maybe church youth group. I don't know. But this, this is one of the staples of the season. And what happens in these traditional Christmas pageants, usually what happens is that 
the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of, of Luke, are, they're kind of putting a blender together, and we, we get an amalgam, if you will, of what happened in and around the birth of Christ. And by the way, the, it, what happens usually is the shepherds and the wise men show up at the same time, but that, that, that's not how it actually went down. The Epiphany, the wise men, that happened much, much later, maybe up to two years after Jesus was born. And we'll talk about that on another occasion, but where this actually comes from, believe it or not, there, there's a, a document called the Proto-Evangelium of James. I don't know if you've heard of this, but this is not in the Bible, but it's, a, it's an ancient Christian document. Probably comes from end of the second century, maybe beginning of the third century. And at any rate, after the death of the eyewitnesses, the Gospels are in, in the Bible are much, much earlier. They're first century documents. But this idea that Jesus was actually born in a cave because they couldn't find room in the inn. Did it actually go down that way? Well, believe it or not, a lot of the stuff that we uh, that we know about from our Christmas pageants, it actually comes from this document, the Proto-Evangelium of James. This is the document that talks about uh, Mary being in a rush to give birth. Uh, there's no room in the inn, and Joseph finds a cave for her to give birth in. But this actually isn't in the New Testament. So here's a question for you. Speaking about away in a manger, is it true that Mary and Joseph were actually rejected from staying in the Bethlehem Hotel or the, the Super 8 in Bethlehem when, when they got there? Is that actually the way it, it really happened? Because it, it kind of makes the citizens of Bethlehem look kind of callous and inhospitable and downright mean. I mean, this is a very pregnant woman who's about to give birth. Well, I'm going to kind of channel the ESPN 30 for 30 documentaries, if you've ever seen those. They always start off, what if I were to tell you? Or what if I told you? What if I told you that this has all been a misinterpretation, just a big misunderstanding when it comes to the birth of Jesus? Maybe Mary and Joseph were actually welcomed to Bethlehem and actually were welcomed into the home of a family. That didn't have anything to do with an inn or hotel or motel at all. Uh, my friend Greg Manette wrote a really interesting book called The Wrong Jesus. It's really good. And he talks about this in his book. There's a guy named Kenneth Bailey. Now, Kenneth Bailey is a researcher who lived in the Middle East for 40 years. And that's a long time. And he taught in Egypt. He taught in Lebanon. He taught in Jerusalem. He taught in Cyprus. He's very fluent in Arabic. And he kind of has really just immersed himself in that Middle Eastern culture. And what's tragic is that a lot of professional Bible scholars have never actually set foot in the Holy Land. They've never been to the Middle East. And as a result, they very often mistranslate sometimes, misappropriate, misunderstand some stuff about the New Testament. And some of the, the very strange portraits of Jesus that proliferate uh, in the media. I don't know if you guys remember the Jesus Seminar. They, they had all these skewed views of Jesus. They got in the media a lot back in the 1990s. A lot of these guys had never set foot in the Holy Land. So when you go there, if you've ever been to the Holy Land, you, you, you know that it exhibits a lot of what's called verisimilitude. When you read the New Testament, you see how, wow, this all actually makes sense. The history, the geography... The culture, it's like a key in a lock. It's very, very true to, to life. And so Professor Kenneth Bailey, he did some uh, kind of detective work on the birth of Jesus in Middle Eastern culture. 
And, and what the, the, the Greek text actually says in the New Testament. Now, some of you guys might know that in a lot of cultures, and this is very, very true in Middle Eastern society as well, the memories of people can be incredibly detailed. And things can go back for generations. In fact, a lot of people can trace their, their genealogy, their, their historical family history back for many generations. There's no need to you know, get a DNA kit and 23andMe and kind of track down who your ancestors were. In fact, I don't know if giving your DNA to a private company is the greatest idea in the world anyways, but, but a lot of people in the Middle East can tell you, they'll, they'll just recite, you know, I'm the son of so-and-so, who's the son of so-and-so, and back and back and back and back throughout the generations. So... In other words, it's it's not it wouldn't be unheard of if you had a distant relative in that part of the world. They they could figure it out. They could figure it out. Now, what's interesting is when you look at the at the Gospel of Luke, and we know that Luke uh, it, it tells us about how Joseph took Mary to the region of Bethlehem. It actually wouldn't be that out of the realm of possibility at all. For Joseph to show up in town and say, hi, I'm Joseph, son of Heli, who's the son of Matat, who's the son of Levi. And you can see this, by the way, in Luke chapter 3. If he were to, to go to Bethlehem and say that in the first century, he would have had a lot of open doors. Oh, yeah, you, you can stay with us. I know your family. And so, given Middle Eastern hospitality and the way things kind of worked uh, in the first century at that time in that part of the world, and it still is that way today, if Mary and Joseph traveled to Bethlehem for the census, that, that probably meant that either Joseph owned a piece of property there, which is quite possible. Maybe, maybe there's still a family residence there that was passed on through the generations. Or there would have been other people he was related to who still lived there who could have, who could have helped him out. So and I don't care what, what culture you come from. If if there's somebody who's about to give birth and, and she's in your family or related to you in some way, you've got to find some way to help this person be, be looked after. Now, sometimes births happen in strange circumstances. We've all heard stories about people who, women who've given birth in a taxi cab or, you know, in a store. I read one the other day about a woman who gave birth in McDonald's of all places. And, and the goal is a, a live birth, of course. And that's that's kind of a, a stressful situation. The baby's coming at a time that you don't necessarily expect, kind of in the same area code, but not necessarily, you didn't have the date pinned down exactly, things happen. So what about the Holy Family? Well, I think there's a, there's a really good possibility that not only did Joseph set this all up ahead of time, but that they were planning on staying there for quite some time. Don't forget, they, they, they went, where did they go after Jesus was born? The presentation in the temple, that didn't happen the next day. That did not happen the next day. There's this purification period that Mary would have had to, to go through. So I, I think that this there was a plan for them to stay there for quite some time before they went back home to Nazareth. And here's the thing. Greg, Greg Manette also said this in his book. He said, look, e even if Joseph had no relatives nearby, even if nobody wanted to help them in Bethlehem, Mary did have relatives in a village that wasn't too far away either, because don't forget, before Jesus was born, there's the visitation, right? Mary visits her relative Elizabeth, where? In the hill country of Judea. And she got a welcome, and she stayed there for three months. Bethlehem is really close to that area, the hill country of Judea, so it wouldn't have been very far. So if, if they couldn't find a place for people to stay with in Bethlehem, they could have very well went to where Elizabeth lived. Hey, 
Liz, can I come over? Can we stay there? I'm very, very pregnant. So I, I actually think that, that, that Greg Manette might actually be right, and Kenneth Bailey might actually be right, that maybe, maybe Mary and Joseph had a lot of time to get things set up. Here's what it says in Luke chapter 2, verse 4. It says that uh, Joseph and Mary went up from Galilee to Judea, and while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. Now, most of the time when we read this, we, we completely pass over this. While they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. That's in Luke chapter 2, verse 6. So they were already there, folks. They were already there. While they were there, that's when she uh, delivered her child, Jesus. So it's, it's also interesting, too, when you look at the, the Greek uh, New Testament text, and we know that Luke's gospel was originally written in Greek. In fact, his Greek is so good that it's approaching classical Greek. Luke is a really, really good Greek writer. He wrote, of course, his gospel and the Acts of the Apostles. And so when you read the, the Greek text of Luke's gospel, where it says, while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. The word days in Greek is plural. And it, the, the word is actually, um, when, it, when it says that the time came that, that, that she should be delivered, that's the Greek word hemorrhai, hemorrhai. And that, that could be translated as the days passed or the days came for her to deliver. So we're talking about quite a few days here. Since Joseph and Mary had arrived in Bethlehem, there would have been a lot of time for them to find a place to stay. It wasn't just they're arriving the night of, oh my goodness, all the hotel rooms are booked. What are we going to do? So, okay, so what, what about the inn? What about the inn? Because it does mention this in, in the English translation, in a lot of English translations of the Bible. Well, here's the way that homes actually were set up in the Middle East uh, in the first century, and especially so in Roman Palestine, which is the area where Jesus was born. So the, the, the homes that people would have, the simple village homes, often had two rooms. So there'd be one big room where, the, and, and a lot of this would sort of serve as the kitchen, the sleeping area, the bedrooms, the living area. So there'd be one big main room where the family would cook, eat, sleep, where they would do most of their living. And behind this big room, there was a staircase. And there, there's lots of uh, reconstructions of, the, of these homes that are out there, and I've seen diagrams of what they would have looked like. Behind the family room, there would be a little staircase that went down a few feet, and there's, there'd be another lower room, which was smaller, and that's where the family animals were kept. A lot of families owned their own cow. They had their own donkey for doing chores and whatever, turning the water wheel. There'd be some sheep. And what they would do is it would get, get very cold there at night. So the animals would be brought inside to this lower area at night so they could stay warm and be protected from predators. So really, th there wasn't too much separation here. There'd just be a drop off in the floor, this little stairwell down to the next level where all the animals were. So what about the manger? What about the manger? Well, the manger would be set up, and that's where the sort of feeding trough for the animals, the manger would be at head level for the animals, and where the two, where you go downstairs into the animal pen, they'd kind of hang the manger uh, on, the, on, the, on the level so the animals could, could sort of eat at, at head level. Anyways, all right, I don't know if I'm describing this in a way that you can, you can understand it, but you might be saying, oh, hang on here, if Mary and Joseph stayed with relatives in a, in a place like that, then why does it talk about the inn? Well, in Luke chapter 2, verse 7, it says that after Mary gave birth to Jesus, she wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger 
because there was no room for them in the what? In the what? In the inn, right? Well, in some English Bibles, it actually says that, but that's not what it actually says in the original text. Once again, don't forget, the New Testament was written in Greek. And by the way, you can call and tell me what your favorite Christmas song is. We'll get back to that in a second. 888-914-914. Nine one four nine. If you're on the line, please hang on. Triple eight nine one four nine one four nine. So this is actually a mistranslation. Um, the actual Greek word that's translated as "in" in some English Bibles is the word "kataluma." Kataluma. It actually means a room or a place to stay. A room or a place to stay. It's the same word that's used of the upper room. By the way, later on in the Gospel, when Jesus, of course. Uh, institutes the Eucharist, the Last Supper, the First Mass. That's in an upper room or a cataluma. So there's actually a different word for an inn or a hotel in Greek. It's the word pandokion, pandokion. And Luke knows about this word. He's, he's really good at Greek. His Greek is awesome. And he actually uses that word later on because when Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10, Luke cha- uh, chapter 10, verse 34, he uses that word. Because remember, the Good Samaritan finds this guy, he's all beaten up, and he, and he sets him up in an inn in a hotel of sorts, in a Super 8, or maybe it was a Hilton, I don't know, but a Pandokion. So that that Greek word, Luke knows what it is, he uses it in chapter 10. He doesn't use it when he's talking about where Jesus stayed as an infant. She, she, she laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the Cataluma. That's a different thing. That's a different place. So what is Luke? Okay. So what does Luke really mean then in Luke chapter two, verse seven? What he's saying is that the normal place to stay in a family home, wherever Mary and Joseph were, that was already full. Somebody was already there. So they couldn't stay in the part of the house that normally would be the guest room. So that's why they go into the family room, the very warmest room in the house. That's actually good for the baby because of the heat of the animals that are there. They're kind of on that second level downstairs. So the manger was on the, the floor of the family room. Now, the animals below could get access to it, but that's they, they said, okay, you're not eating out of this right now. This is actually going to, this is going to become the crib. So it actually would have been a very, very warm and nice place for the family to stay. Not bad at all. Not, I mean, it's not the guest room, but it, it's okay. So... This is kind of an interesting way to look at this. And Greg Manette said when he first started learning about this, he was actually pretty shocked because this goes against everything that we've been taught about the birth of Jesus. But he said the more they thought about this, the more he actually prefers this this understanding because it shows that God was actually looking out for the Holy Family, made sure that his son was brought into this world in a loving and caring environment, not not in a some sort of an outdoor cave after his parents were rejected and turned away from door after doors were you know slammed in their face the no room in the hotel and so they got to give birth in a, in a cave at the at the outskirts of the city no 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 it, it could be that jesus was welcomed into the world in the, in the home of a very caring family in roman palestine who made sure that they were really really well looked after and so this is kind of shocking for some people but it does make a lot of sense. It does make a lot of sense. And so maybe this is even more wonderful than the way that we've thought about it before. So anyways, I just thought I'd mention that because Away in a Manger, my favorite Christmas song. I want to hear what yours are. 888 914 
9149. Got to take a quick break on the Kale Clark Show, but we'll be right back with your phone calls and some Christmas songs and their background right after this. Hi, this is Kale Clark. Thanks for listening to my podcast. Check out Charity Mobile and prayerfully consider making them your wireless carrier. They're a pro-life phone company and 5% of your monthly plan price goes to Relevant Radio or another pro-life charity of your choice. For a limited time, new customers who mention offer code Relevant Radio get a free phone with free activation and free shipping. Don't delay. CharityMobile.com. That's CharityMobile.com. Producer Jim is getting pretty sentimental right now. He's dipping into all of his Christmas favorites. Hey, what's your favorite Christmas song? 888-914-9149. I want to hear from you. Let's go to Penny in Chicago. Hi, Penny. (laughs) I have to laugh because I was in the car driving home from work and I was on hold so long that now I'm in TJ Maxx. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there you go. I'm happy to to be with you. Well, hey, I'm I'm happy to be with you in TJ Maxx. This is this is great radio. So, well, what's your favorite Christmas song? Mary, did you know? Mary, did you know? And why do you like that song? Well, my grandchildren learned it when they were growing up. Reba McIntyre, I think, made the first version of it. That's a good and question. They would, they would ask. They would ask questions when they heard those lines. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, did you know your son would walk on water? You know, the whole feel of all the things that he did. Mary, did you know all this? <laughs> yeah, you know, Penny, you're probably aware of this, but there's 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 a lot of, if you if you Google that song title, there's a lot of discussions about this. There's a lot of people who really don't like that song because they say, hey, Mary did know. She, of course she knew. Now, she might not have known all the, all the details about, but she certainly knew. Uh, based on her conversation with Gabriel the Archangel, that hey, her son was the Messiah. So, but it's—I remember it, it was a super popular song that came out. I'm trying to remember who. Now I don't know if Reba McIntyre was the first recorded version of this song, but I think it was written by this guy named Mark. I'm trying to remember his name. He was a very popular um, Christian singer. He was in the Gaither vocal group. Ah, oh, I don't kind of. Anyways, but. But yeah, no, uh, that's uh, that's intriguing. I'm glad it sparked some theological conversations in your family, Penny. That's 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 what I'm grateful for. So I thought that was a good song because it brought that up in their minds. They were wondering, you know. Mm-hmm. And and that's 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 get them thinking. That's that's really important. And by the way, it's Mark Lowry. So uh, it was originally recorded by Michael English. By Michael English, who by the way, Michael English is one of the best singers ever christian or non-christian doesn't matter he's got a song called in christ alone that's like oh that's like that's that's an amazing song amazing song maybe we can find that one jim and play that at some point that it's not a christmas song but it's really good michael english how about that hey penny i hope you uh hope tj Maxx uh treats you well i hope you get your returns all, all sorted there and hey thanks for calling in call anytime Thanks for listening to The Kale Clark Show. And hey, wherever you may be, you might be in Target, you might be in TJ Maxx, you might be, I don't know. You can call me from where you are. You've all got phones. 888-914-9149. Let's go to Steve in Chicagoland, somewhere in Chicagoland. Hi, Steve. 
Hi, and uh, Elmhurst still in Illinois, fully participating in rush hour. Yes, (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Carol of the Bells, that's my favorite. Carol of the Bells, Uh, producer Jim. I think you've got a clip of this, right? There it is. Carol of the Bells. That's that's also a a classic. Yeah. Do you have a special memory attached to that, Steve? No, it's just that it's a very soaring, glorious type of a song. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a really good song. It's a great classic, and um, it's in a lot of commercials too. It's in a lot of commercials, and uh, I, I hope that you, uh, you you hope your traffic jam eases up a little bit. I know a lot of people listen to us in traffic, and I'm happy to be your companion. You might as well call in and talk to me while you're while you're sitting there, as long as you have a hands free device and you can you can be safe about it. Triple eight nine one four nine one four nine. You might be in L A. Might be on one of the California freeways. You might be in Chicagoland. You might be in New York City. Want to hear from you? Triple eight nine one four nine one four nine from Maui to Maine, as we like to say here at Relevant Radio. It's the Kale Clark Show. Let's go to Chris in Glen Oaks, New York. Hey, we are going to go to New York, New York State. Hey, Chris, how you doing? Into New York. <laughs> My yeah. favorite is also Carol of the Bells, and okay. we used to sing it in Glee Club. When I was in Catholic high school, yes. (laughs) And my daughter is now the music director in our local church that we belong to. And and she always makes a point of playing it during the Christmas (laughs) holidays, because she knows it's my favorite. Well, hey, she's being a good daughter then. you got to make mom happy. Absolutely. Hey, if you know the choir director, you can kind of get your requests in, right? It's like a DJ. I love that. I love that. So, hey, Chris... A Merry Christmas to you and your family. Really appreciate you calling in. That was Chris in Glen Oaks. Hope to hear from you soon. All right, let's go to Julie in Phoenix. Hey, Julie. Hi. Um, I just wanted to say mine was the, the Little Drummer Boy. Little Drummer Boy. And why do you love that one so much? I just It just makes me cry all the time because... You know, he's saying, I'm a poor boy, too. Mm. And he plays his drum, and he plays the best. And, I mean, that's all he has. And then when the ox and the, I can't remember the other animals, join in, it's like everybody knows they're playing, or even the creatures know they're playing to Mm. God. And it's just, I I don't know. And then the melody just helps that, you know. Yeah. It's just. Beautiful. It, it, it is great, and we, we, we do have to, to, to give our best to, to God, and he, He'll transform it. And and this, this is what Jesus said. Remember the triumphal entry? He said, hey, if, if people are saying, why are these little kids praising you? Stop them, stop them. This is inappropriate. Hey, Jesus said, even the very stones would cry out if these children were not singing Hosanna. And the same, the same could, be, could be said of, of uh, the Christmas event as well, although obviously— only a couple people knew it was really happening at that at that moment, but uh, hey, appreciate you, Julie. Thanks for listening and, and thanks for calling in. That was Julie in Phoenix. All right, let's go to Nick in Ontario, California. Hi, Nick. Hey, how you doing? I am well. Uh, mine is Angels We Have Heard on High. Angels We Have Heard on High. Okay. If you look up the painting by Bunnell called Seeing Shepherds. Those two together are such an opportunity for Alexio Divina hmm. during Advent. Wow. There we go. Hey, producer Jim found it. That was pretty quick. 
pretty quick on the draw there. I like the idea of having a having an image to, to meditate on, maybe a, a classic painting from from the world of art to, to make you just think about the scene. I really like that combining those two together. Hey Nick, thank you for the call and Merry Christmas to you and your family. Let's go now to Claire in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Hey Claire. Hi, Claire. thank you for having me on. You're welcome. So my favorite Christmas song is Mary's Boy Child by Boney M. <laughs> Boney M, yeah, that's right. That's that's a more contemporary song, of course. I don't know if uh, producer Jim has that one at his fingertips. Yeah, it's just <laughs> a really fun song, and I, I think that it tells the whole story of Christ's birth in a really fun way, especially for kids. But my kids and I have always liked dancing to it at Christmas time. Mm, okay, so so Mary's Boy Child by Boney M. They were kind of a really a popular band, I think, in the 1970s, if I'm not mistaken. But but hey, appreciate that call, Claire. That's one I, I didn't expect to come up necessarily. But hey, there are a lot of Christmas tunes out there. Let's go to Don in Oakland, California. Hey, Don. Hi, hello. Good evening. Yeah, my my song is um, the wish that I wish tonight. The wish. Uh, the wish that I wish tonight from the movie Christmas in Connecticut. Christmas in Connecticut. I have not seen that film. I have not seen that film. Now, do you know who oh, sings that song? Or, or yeah, it was on TCM. Um, it, it goes that I wish that I wish tonight. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I hope my lucky star would come oh, to okay. okay, well, Don. Unfor- unfortunately, your your phone is kind of kind of breaking up there. Uh, so we we will have to. Uh, but thank you for calling in. So the wish from the movie Christmas in Connecticut, which I that is that is another Christmas. We talked about Christmas films last night. I haven't seen that one. Uh, oh, producer Jim said, told me in my ear it's a great film. So okay, I'll have to check that one out. Maybe so is that like a date night flick, Jim, or is that a family fair? Or yeah, what? It, it, it's a date night or the family watch. We watch it every year. So it's okay. just a fantastic movie. Christmas and I'm trying to remember the name of the actress. She's uh, fantastic. It's from 1940s, and um, she's a newspaper uh, writer, and she writes all these wonderful articles about these traditions in the home and in the kitchen, and it turns out she's just making it all up, and it's a fantastic <laughs> event where uh, there's the sailor who was off at sea, and one of his first meals back home after the war is going to be this wonderful home-cooked Christmas meal at this uh, farm up in Connecticut, and it's just a fantastic. It's humorous. It's funny. It's just a beautiful film for the nice, family. nice, good, good, clean, fun for the whole family. Appreciate that. Hey, but I should ask you while you're while you're while you're here, Jim, before you go back to the uh, to the production board there. Um, what is your favorite Christmas song or hymn? I like Adeste Fidelis and um, Oh Come All Ye Faithful. My favorite, one of my favorite versions is uh, by. Bocelli, Andre Bocelli, and oh, uh, yes. it just always gets me choked up at the beginning of the Christmas Mass. Here we are celebrating such a beautiful feast when the whole world has waited thousands of years, mm. and we're witnessing. It's like we're witnessing it every year the same as if it was the first time. Yeah, that's that's how it feels, and it brings tears to my. I have to kind of. You know, kind of hide my face. Don't don't be ashamed of that. Yeah. You know, if it, it has to it has to move us and. It's like what Jesus said in the gospel. I tell you, you know, many kings and prophets long to see what you see, but didn't see it. And long to hear what you hear, but didn't hear it. And 
We even have more than that because we have 20 years, 20, not 20 years, but 20, 20 centuries of church teaching where Christ has you know, opened up even more to us uh, through the church. So and we're not getting ripped off because we didn't get to spend time with Jesus in Palestine. He is here among us in the Eucharist. That's that's what we always have to remember. So, so that's that's really well said. And and really every mass is like is, is it's like Christmas. You know, Christ appears again, and I love it. I just absolutely love it. And so yeah, when we when we celebrate uh, the birth of Christ this year, we should we should try to make it more meaningful. Yeah. So O Come All Ye Faithful is a great 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 uh, Christmas hymn as well. What's your favorite? Triple eight nine one four nine one four nine. Want to hear from you? And when we come back. I'm going to be sharing the backstory of a Christmas hymn, one of the most popular ones of all time. Nobody's mentioned it yet, but when I found out the true story, it's it's quite something. I'll tell you, this could be a movie. Anyways, uh, we'll be right back on the Kale Clark Show, 888-914-9149. Welcome back to the Kale Clark Show. We're almost at the great feast of Christmas. Asking what your favorite Christmas song or Christmas hymn is, 888 Let's go to Therese in St. Paul, Minnesota. Is it Therese or Therese? That's fine. Either is fine. I go back. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'm easy. Mine is O Holy Night, and I oh, think it's Lord. amazing and beautiful. It's just um, kind of ethereal. I, I love O Holy Night. I've got I've got a couple of couple of stories for you, actually, Therese. On I'm going to call you Therese on on, uh, on O Holy Night. First of all, by the way, this is you can hear Celine Dion in the background there. I had to use this one because she's Canadian, right? So Celine Dion, and uh, we might have a little Josh Groan, but mixed in with you with that as well. Um, so a lot of you guys know that uh, when I was in in the Protestant seminary. I, I was kind of uh, staying with a family, and the head of that family was a very famous opera singer. Not too many people know who he is in North America, but his name is Ben Hepner, and he was basically as big as Pavarotti in Europe. He's won Grammy Awards, and, and every year they would have a Christmas party at the house, and this would be the grand finale. He would sing All Holy Night, and it would just blow everybody away. I mean, this is it's one of my best memories. But I don't know if you guys know this, the the backstory of Oh Holy Night. This is the one I wanted to talk about, so I'm glad Therese mentioned this song. This is amazing. I did not know this. I I was um, just kind of scrolling through uh, Twitter the other day, and I came ac- across this thread by this guy named Zach Lambert. And I have to. It was kind of surprising to me. I didn't know this, but the backstory of Oh Holy Night. And you can keep playing a gym if you want in the background. You kind of loop it through. But originally, it was a poem, by the way, that was commissioned by a French priest in 1847 because he wanted something special to read at Christmas Mass. And in the year 1855, there was a a, a pastor in Boston named John Sullivan Dwight. He found this, 
this poem, and he actually translated it from French into English, and he really fell in love with it. So I just want to give you a little bit of backstory on this part, too, because I, I did some more research on it, and this was pretty wild. So I, I read an article that was written by this guy named uh, Peter Sanfilippo, and uh, oh, there's Josh Groban. In the medieval town of Requimare in 1843 in, in, in France, the parish priest of the local church wanted to commemorate renovations that were made to the church organ. This led him to the poet and wine merchant Placide Capot. And Mr. Capot didn't care about religion at all. This was, he was a poet, had no use for religion, but he said, okay, I, I, I'll write this for you, even though I'm not a religious man myself. And so he went to Paris on a stagecoach and he wrote this poem called Midnight Christians. Midnight Christians. Now, sidebar here, this guy Capot, who wrote this, he only had one hand because he lost his right hand when he was a child. His friend accidentally shot him. Shot his hand. So, oh. anyways, that's a... Next time you're at a Christmas party and people play Oh Holy Night, you can tell that story. At any rate, so uh, this poet, Mr. Capot, uh, brought his poem to a composer named Adolphe Adam. Now, Adam was a friend of Mr. Capot. He was a prolific composer. He wrote for a lot of operas and ballets, including Giselle. And uh, anyways, he, he wrote, wrote a lot of Christmas music. So this guy, Mr. Adam, who was not, he was not, a, he was not a, a Christian. He was actually a, a, a Jewish person. And he, he, uh, he wrote the music. And that's, that's really kind of the root of this. And the resulting carol that he came up with was simply called Christmas Carol, and he premiered in 1847. It was performed by a local opera singer, speaking of opera singers, named Emily Laurie. Anyways, it was, it was really, really popular, but as soon as people got, as soon as the word got out about Mr. Capot, who wrote the words, nobody wanted to deal with it anymore because Capot was not a religious person. He was, in fact, an atheist, and he had a very, very strong disdain for religious authority. So the church leadership actually banned the song from being played in any liturgy in France. So how about that? And it, it kind of lived on outside the church because people loved it so much and it kind of got passed around. And that's how it reached the ears eventually of John Sullivan Dwight. Now this guy was a Unitarian minister. He wasn't Catholic, but Believe it or not, he was also a part-time Santa impersonator in the Boston area as well. And I've seen portraits of this guy. He does look like Santa. He had a big white beard. Anyways, uh, for what it's worth, <laughs> that, that's it. So anyways, John Sullivan Dwight, uh, he absolutely fell in love with this, primarily because of verse 3 of O Holy Night, which says this, Truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace Chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother, and in his name all oppression shall cease. So what was happening in America in 1855 when John Sullivan Dwight translated O Holy Night into English? You guessed it. America was on the brink of the Civil War. And in this Twitter thread, uh, Zach Lambert wrote about this, and he said that over the next six years, as we know, 11 southern states seceded from the United States, primarily over the issue of slavery. And so what you have to understand about uh, John uh, Dwight, uh, John Sullivan Dwight, who translated this into English in Boston, he was a staunch abolitionist. 
And believe it or not, at that time, half of the arguments, this is unbelievable, but half of the arguments that were written in favor of slavery were written by Christian pastors. Can you imagine that? So this guy said, no way. So he's like, I love this song because this has to be almost the anthem of abolitionists. And so he published Oh Holy Night in his own magazine, which was called Dwight's Journal of Music. And the song completely took off. And it got really, really popular, especially in the North uh, during the Civil War. But not everybody liked it, including some religious leaders. And and tragically, there were a lot of, uh, as I talked about just a moment ago, a lot of published defenses of slavery written by pastors in the South, uh, including uh, the founding members of the Southern Baptist Convention. And uh, this is absolutely tragic. And when the Civil War was over, and by this point, Oh Holy Night was already one of the most well-known Christmas songs around the world. Believe it or not, a lot of churches in the South still refused to sing that song, especially verse 3. Or they, they just banned the song outright. And sometimes they, they would even uh, change the, the song, change, change the words. And um, it, it's kind of um, jarring to think about. I didn't know the backstory of this at all. And um, some versions of O Holy Night still don't include verse 3. And, and one uh, example of this is one of the more popular modern versions of the song, which is by Carrie Underwood. I'm not saying Carrie Underwood had anything to do with this, but uh, in her version, um, the version that she sings, it says, Chains shall he break, for his child is our brother, and in his name all oppression shall cease. That's not the original. The original says, the slave is our brother. So um, how about that? So the, the, the origins of A Holy Night, it's an anti-slavery song. It's an abolitionist anthem, if you will. Uh, and so... There, there you go. I, I, a lot of people don't know that that background. So there you have it. There you have it. I just learned about that the other day. You're listening to the Kale Clark Show, 888-914-9149. Let's go now to Thomas in Minneapolis. Hi, Thomas. Hi, Kale. Thank you for taking my call. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. So what's your um, favorite Christmas so, song? Well, if I were going to give you my favorite, we'd be on the air for about 15 <laughs> minutes while I list them all. However, my most recent favorite... Uh, is Breath of Heaven. Hmm. Breath of Heaven. Now, is this a, a modern song? Um, sounds like it is. Fairly modern, um, but I was listening to that, and it was actually during Lent. I think it was during uh, morning air uh, in the Lenten season that I heard yeah. it. And the lyrics struck me like a ton of bricks uh, hmm. where she's talking about must I walk this road alone? And I thought about Mary carrying the salvation of the world inside her womb, um, and there's nobody there for her, and, you know, but if I have you, God, that's all I need. And then I thought about Jesus on his way to Calvary, uh, carrying the salvation of the world on his back, the, the wooden beam of the cross, and he had nobody there for him, and I, I just, it, it like I said, it struck mm. me like a ton of bricks wow. of how Mary's uh, singing "Breath of Heaven" was like a precursor or a type of Jesus doing the same exact thing at Calvary. And so I get a twofer out of it because now I get to listen to it at Lent as well. There you go. It sounds like a good a good Lenten song as well. And and you're you're probably right. Something that you said there, 
in all likelihood, Jesus, uh, despite what you see in art and, and you know films like The Passion of the Christ, which I think was very accurate in a lot of ways historically, especially with the scourging and stuff, Jesus probably only carried the the horizontal beam of the cross to the ex- execution site, which is known as the patibulum. That's what they, they did with criminals back then. But anyways, Breath of Heaven. Okay, I'll have to check that one out. Thank you so much for that call, Thomas. Let's go now to Laura in Wisconsin. Hi, Laura. Hi. Hey, how are you? I am well. What's your favorite Christmas um, song, Laura? Oh, darling, I don't really have an exact one. But I do have a favorite Christmas artist. Okay, what's that? And made the Lord hold her, made the Lord hold her close in the palm of his hands. Karen Carpenter. Karen Carpenter. Yeah, I don't know if the, did the Carpenters have a Christmas album? Romantic. I'm sorry. What? Did did the Carpenters have a Christmas album? Oh, uh, wait. Let me turn down the radio. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What? What did you ask? Oh, oh, oh I said. <laughs> thanks. For, thanks for turning down the radio. I said, did the Carpenters have a Christmas album? Oh, geez. You know, I I really cannot answer. But I okay. remember her most romantic yeah. voice. Yeah. And she would yeah. say, "Merry Christmas." <laughs> she had her and her brother. Yeah, that's right. And and I, I gotta say, I gotta jump in there, Laura. Karen Carpenter, one of the, which she is truly one of the one of the greatest singers of all time. And uh, she was so talented, so tragic how how she passed away from anorexia nervosa. And um, there's a guy, there's a guy on YouTube. I've mentioned this guy before. If you love music, you should check out his YouTube channel. His name is Rick Beato. He he's got a great YouTube channel. He's actually one of the most popular YouTubers out there. He's got a video up on the Carpenters, on Karen Carpenter. Check it out. It's really, really good. Because Karen Carpenter was, believe it or not, not only was she a great singer, and her voice was just so pure, the tone, it's it's unreal. He just kind of goes through all this. But she's one of the best drummers in the world, too. She was a, a killer drum player, a, unbelievable musician. So, yeah, the Carpenters were, were just fantabulous. They're really good. All right, let's go now to Bill in Texas. Hi, Bill. Hi, Kale. Thank you for taking my call. Um, If you have a moment for a story, uh, used to be my favorite, um, my favorite Christmas carol was what child is this? Because I really like the, Mm. uh, the minor chords and just the, you know, it's kind of a haunting melody. Um, but last year at Christmas, uh, during Advent season, I was a catechist and I, at Easter became fully Catholic. And, uh, but I remember last year. Um, during Advent, somebody on Relevant Radio talked about the O antiphons, and I kind of followed up on that, and mm-hmm. it, I just, it was fascinating to me. And so, rocketing up my list of favorite Christmas carols now, I would say on top is probably Inya's version of O Come Emmanuel. And Emmanuel. if you're familiar with the story of the O antiphons, uh, I couldn't recite it back well enough, but if... It, I'd love to hear it again from from either you or Patrick. I don't remember who it was that I think that it was probably Patrick that talked year. about that. Yeah, I think I think it was Patrick that talked about that. Um, yeah, the O antiphons, and I don't know whether there's an article about that on the relevant radio website or not. But I, I seen her call seeing something about that recently. But but yeah, O come O come Emmanuel is is a classic uh, song for Advent, of course, and. People love it at Christmas time as well. I, I just I just love that. Yeah, the old antiphons. We'll have to do some research on that. It's, it's definitely uh, right up there. Let's go quickly to Kathy 
in St. Paul, Minnesota. Kathy, we got just about 30 or 40 seconds here. Uh, what's your favorite uh, song? Um, I, have a, I have a Polish lullaby, and the reason it's so beautiful and memorable for me is my grandparents came from the old country, couldn't speak English very well, and my mother would train me, five, my daughter, my sister seven, my sister nine, to sing this. And I don't know the rest, and you don't have time. We <laughs> sing it every Christmas, and um, I'm Polish, but I can't speak it, but I make pierogi. <laughs> hey, you're making me hungry right now. I, I absolutely love it. I love it. I love pierogi. I love Polish sausage. Ditka, Polish Yashij, Da Bears. Love it all. It's fantastic. And hey, it's always fun to get a little karaoke in uh, from myself or the callers on the Kale Clark Show. We had a lot of fun on the show today. If you missed any of the program, the podcast will be up uh, just a few minutes after the show, definitely within the half hour or so. Producer Jim will have it up. So, yes, Jim Shaper did produce. Patrick Aylock took your phone calls, kept him busy tonight. Stay tuned for Timory and the Family Rosary Across America. This is Kale Clark. Take it away, Michaela. Thank you for listening to my daddy.